Welcome back, underdogs. You're listening to the podcast where we document the business models of successful open source companies. It's episode 27, and we're lucky to have John Newton, one of the founders of Alfresco. Alfresco was one of the first vendors to perfect the commercial open source business model. It's one of the leaders in document management, a segment that's undergone massive change in the 15 years or so since it started. John has a deep perspective on open source and entrepreneurship. He also founded Documentum, a commercial software platform in the same segment. So enough of me blabbering. Let's just cut to the tape. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's nice to be here. You founded Alfresco 14 years ago with John Powell. What was the original idea and why do you think the timing was right? Well, both he and I were looking at new businesses to start. And my background was in enterprise content management, which I had been in since 1990. I was the co-founder of Documentum. And in that time, the industry went from nothing to about 4 or $5 billion at that point. And what we had seen was that there were a lot of business models that some were working, some were not. And we both lived in Europe, and we were trying to figure out what would work from Europe. And it looked like open source would work. You saw a lot of successful open source projects get started, and uh, like Linux and JBoss and MySQL, those all came out of Europe or by Europeans. And so my background being in enterprise content management seemed like, hey, there's nothing like a documentum, a file net, an open text or even a SharePoint in open source, and someone's going to do it, and might as well be us. And so that got it started probably at a really good time. The first wave of open source applications coming out, I think our timing was actually pretty good. Alfresco has a few products and services. What are the most important business units from a revenue perspective, and which units do you expect to grow the most in the future? Yeah, traditionally, most of our revenue has come from what is now known as content services. As content is created and used in many different areas, the market that was enterprise content management has now become content services. We added process services as well, and that grew very rapidly. But I think it's all the bits coming together, the content services, the process services, the search services, the uh, governance services, all coming together to solve a lot of digital transformation challenges. Companies are looking to serve their customers more effectively in a digital world. And all those things working together will actually become the most important. So I think selling them all together in what we call the digital business platform will be the fastest growing and ultimately become the biggest. But uh, we still sell content services and uh, Also, process services, governance services, sometimes standalone, and they do well. But I think that's where the growth is going to be. How about in cloud-delivered versus on-premise? Yeah, so when you look at the industries that we're involved in, they tend to be highly regulated. So this is an area that has been slower to adopt the cloud, but there's been a real sea change in how regulated industries are starting to look at the cloud and the benefits of the cloud. So still the majority of our customers are on-premise, but uh, increasingly a lot of them are deploying on AWS and Microsoft Azure. 
some on Google Cloud as well. And I'm sure ultimately those will become the dominant platforms upon which uh, people will deploy these digital services. But it's a real mix right now. And uh, actually, that helps with open source because when people try open source, they tend to do it on their own local systems, or perhaps they'll deploy it on a on something like an AWS instance or something like that. So it's good to be flexible in how it gets deployed and how it gets used. Maybe I misspoke. I said cloud, but I think what I meant was as a service. Right. Does Alfresco offer a hosted version, and how do you see? Or how has that been and how do you see that growing? Yes, we have offered a content services as a service, and uh, it's something that we are expanding on uh, this coming year. Taking ed- some of the benefits of on-premise and isolated instances and providing the level of security and control that people expect from on-premise, but making it available as a service. So you get to keep all the keys, uh, you keep control over where the content's stored, no one else can see how your indexes are created, you can control all aspects of security, which is important in the industries I mentioned, the regulated industries that we're dealing with. So it's a smaller portion of our business, but one that we expect to grow pretty rapidly in the next couple of years. So Alfresco must appeal to a wide array of organizations. Do you segment the market in any way? Yeah, we tend to segment the market primarily along vertical lines. You see how Alfresco got adopted over time. Very rapidly, the industries that like open source and and started to pick it up pretty quickly were governments, particularly over here in Europe, also um, uh, financial services Banks love technology. They like to tinker with technology and just enjoy open source as, you know, in terms of building solutions on top of it. And then the third that really grew rapidly early on was the high tech manufacturing, where there tends to be more of an engineering mindset. And so being able to see the source code, having the openness and uh, the control over what happens to your destiny with this product were very important. So we have taken and grown that verticalization, starting to look at more specific use cases in each of those and providing those use cases. And so, you know, we're doing more with government than ever before, especially when we started to build in some of the records management capabilities that were expected of the U.S. government. That really opened up the doors for us uh, to sell into federal as well as some state, local, and European organizations. And over time, the interest in financial services and open source and also the freedom it gives, you know, not being locked into any particular vendor also became more important in areas such as insurance that were pretty conservative when we first got started, but are actually doing some of the most interesting digital transformations that are going on at the moment. So you see more insurance as as an extension of that financial services. And then also business services, anything from payroll uh, services to marketing services, logistics, uh, event services, things like that uh, have also brought on open source as well. And so those industries, along with the high tech manufacturing, account for probably you know more than half, maybe more than 60% of our uh, revenue. 
And then there's a long tail after that. But uh, verticalization is the main way that we segment it. Uh, We do do some segmentation along the size of companies in terms of how we sell this in our sales organization. But we were sort of surprised. Uh, We were thinking that early on when we had brought out an open source model, it'd be small and medium-sized businesses that would adopt Alfresco. And it turned out to be actually the largest companies were, were started adopting uh, open source and adopting Alfresco. So it was a pleasant surprise because it tended to bring along bigger deals as well. But that isn't the primary way that we look at it. We want to look at it in terms of the use cases and solving specific problems. And looking at it from a vertical perspective ends up being the best way to do that. Has the value proposition of Alfresco changed over time? In some ways, not that much, but in some ways considerably. Early on, it was basic document management that brought people to Alfresco. I think experimentation with open source actually widened out the number of different types of use cases. So you saw a wide variety of things being done. And also the industry, you know, I'd been in it since 1990. In some ways, it is a lot of the same types of industries that need this level of control of their most important content and most important information. And you'll see some of the same types of services. But, you know, we, we're seeing ourselves injected in a lot of digital processes that when we started simply did not exist. You know, in that time frame, we've seen massive globalization. So uh, things like logistics and coordination across multiple geographies becomes a new value proposition that probably wasn't quite as important in 2005 as it is today. To see the digital value chain and the digital supply chain being just as important as the physical supply chain in terms of distributing information for things like financial services, but even in manufacturing as well. The digital artifacts will be sent ahead in terms of specifications and digital assets and coordination, information, logistics, well ahead of the actual physical goods. And so it's becoming part of the supply chain as well. Yeah, I think in in a lot of ways it has changed quite a bit, but some of those standard use cases of let's get control of our contracts, let's get control of our web content, let's get control of some of the records and specifications and things like that is still very important, still very valuable for companies and and is often some of the most important intellectual property and most important information that the company has and needs to safekeep. So as I understand it, you started the company and the open source project roughly at the same time. Yes. How long did it take for the community to achieve critical mass? Actually, a lot faster than we had expected. So how we got started was, you know, started as a hypothesis. I have had a team here in the UK. I knew what we could build. And the question was, could we build and distribute it faster using an open source model? We tested it out on people who might know. So people who were prominent in open source at the time, uh, whether it's, uh, I think it was Bob Bickle at JBoss and Mark Fleury, David Axmarks and uh, Martin Mikos at MySQL, many people, as well as some leading CIOs that I knew from previous roles that I had, talking to some of the CIOs of some of the banks. 
it seemed like, yeah, there's an opportunity. So I asked one of those guys, you know, if we got, say, 100,000 downloads by the end of this year, would that be good? And they said, yeah, that'd be pretty good. So we went out and we just built this thing. We just, you know, hell for leather to build out a demo and get it out. And we tried to time it around a major industry event, which was Java 1 at the time. It just, you know, a good confluence of interest in open source, an event where we could launch this thing. And also my background as well, being from uh, traditional enterprise software, being the co-founder of Documentum, meant that I had kind of instant credibility in the space. So I got on the cover of Information Week, and that just launched everything. And uh, we hit 100,000 in like a week or something like that. And uh, we did well over a million. I don't remember exactly how many we had by the end of the year. So we started in January 2015, more or less around the beginning of the year. And by the end of the year, had about a million downloads. So from the launch of the first beta to critical mass on the community was probably from release a product, probably about six months. We got critical mass, if not sooner. And then in terms of actual sales, starting to sell an enterprise version, there was some experimentation on that, what works, what doesn't work. You know, we were starting to get our first sales early in the first year, and we we're doing pretty well the, the next full year of existence of Alfresco. So getting that first sale at the beginning of the new year. And then by the end of the year, I think we had about a million and a half and it was just a hockey stick from there. How would you say that the open source community has materially contributed to Alfresco, the company? Very early on, we learned a lot from existing commercial open source companies in terms of what to expect, in terms of contributions. I think coming in where there had been no open source alternative at that point opened up just a flurry of innovation of from people who like the area you know again it was like a four or five billion dollar industry with people building solutions around it and just wanting certain features and just adding and contributing to it still by far you know most of the contributions were from our company but over time we started getting some from some of our partners as key participants in the open source community, got some important extensions uh, and important new core capabilities as well in terms of adding new intelligence into the system or transforms or various components like that. Over time, the community itself started uh, to organize some of its own events, and we've been quite happy to participate in those events with a bit of a more independent feel in terms of what we're due and to protect the integrity of the open source community. So it's called the Order of the Bee, the Alfresco Order of the Bee, and they'll have events around the world and in some really interesting places sometimes, but they're a very important core part of who Alfresco is and the Alfresco community. So Alfresco is probably one of the first companies to define an open core business model. Have you had to tweak or adjust that strategy? Yeah, I think we experimented with the license. That's been an important part of how you build and deliver an open core model. We experimented with LGPL, 
then went to a modified Mozilla license, then went to GPL, and then finally settled on LGPL as well. As part of that, we had to carefully choose what elements were going to be enterprise. So yeah, it's an open core, but it's a pretty big core as well. You know, it was really important for us, for the people who download the product to have something useful, to be have something successful that they can work with. And that on its own should be able to do something of, of good value. And just putting out demoware and open sources demoware is not really going to get you what you want in terms of a thriving, successful community. So what we ended up doing after a few experiments of what would work, what wouldn't work, you know, we experimented with just pure security being uh, an enterprise feature that didn't really cut it. So we, we made that community, but maybe degrees of security, degrees of deployment, degrees of configurability are, are some of those things that you could do. And so uh, what we ended up doing is coming up with a set of principles as to what we felt was fair to be able to monetize as opposed to, you know, making that line arbitrary. It, it's almost like a social contract between us and the community. Like you, you're getting software. In fact, more than 90% of what's being delivered is being delivered for free as part of the community. But it's that other five, 10% that's really important for us to be able to have a sustainable business model to continue feeding into the development of Alfresco. That open core model did evolve. And I think it's been pretty successful, you know, in terms of how we've approached it. Some of the capabilities, particularly when you get into the cloud, how you deploy on the cloud, how you look at cloud native capabilities, things are changing. Also, some of the business models of the components that we use have changed as well in terms of search and databases and things like that. So we need to be able to adapt to those more effectively. And if you do it from a principled point of view to say, here are the principles by which we are living, then I think people tend to buy into that and it makes for a more successful open core model. I read that Alfresco only releases bug fixes for the current community edition. I thought that was a really interesting nuance. Has that been effective? an effective incentive to get customers to upgrade to an enterprise subscription? Yeah, I think for a lot of professional commercial open source companies, my understanding is that it's a pretty common model. Customers tend to want to be able to live on a stable version for sometimes for years, you know, so that's part of the incentive, yes, to be able to move over. And as far as upkeeping older versions of open source, I, I think that tends to be the way most open source projects work as well. We're not going to go back and fix that in the older version, move on to the new version. And it's ever onward, ever forward for most open source projects. You know, that stability that large enterprises in particular want, that is part of the incentive is to buy into that. That and also things like indemnity on uh, the software and, you know, warranties on the software. So that is probably the, the majority of what people buy into, perhaps even more so than some of the enterprise features. Can you talk a little bit about sales and marketing? Was it initially mostly inbound? And have you evolved towards a more traditional enterprise sales organization? 
when we started, it was almost entirely all inbound. So your open source community is your sales force. They're going out, they're trying it, and they're proving for themselves that it can solve their problem. And then you just create a low friction sales process that if you like it and you want to buy into it, you just call up and and sometimes just email in and you're negotiating and you get the contract done. So we were doing anything up to six figures with an entirely inbound process. And salespeople who were not heavy-duty enterprise salespeople as part of it. But when you start getting top-tier banks and also um, major government uh, agencies, and you're getting on the radar of the major software vendors, you know, non-open source software vendors, then the process can become longer, but also much bigger. You know, the whole concept of land and expand. Uh, the inbound model is just land, and if you're lucky, it's land, land, land uh, inside of an organization. But if you really want to get these things joined up and start to move up as part of the CIO agenda, then you have to have a proper enterprise sales force. Trained enterprise salespeople as well are new to open source. They may be very familiar with your software and how things are done, but the whole idea of giving software away is kind of uh, new to them and uh, something they have to get their head around. And generally, they they do get their head around it. You know, it's sometimes there's uh, a little bit of friction between enterprise sales and the community. In the end, it's the community that's feeding a lot of those enterprise sales, whether directly or indirectly, because it could have been a project earlier on using the open source model that may have gotten the whole ball rolling, even if the economic buyer was not even aware that their technical people had downloaded it at some point. But those are the people who will be involved in those sorts of conversations. And so a lot of times at that scale, the enterprise sales end up being very different than your typical open source engagement. Even still, the fact that it is open source is important for those customers in, in banking, insurance, and uh, and government. And when you ask them, you know, why did you buy Al Alfresco? Often it's because one of the number one things they say is because it was open source. It seems like Alfresco is a really strong partner network. And I'm wondering if you could talk about like what percentage of, let's say, business comes through the partner channel and how you see the partner channel growing. So the the difference between the partner channel and the direct channel is uh, sometimes regional. And, you know, even in a non-open source model, I've seen it, you know, where the European sales process can often be more partner-led than the U.S., which might be more direct. I think it's the behavior of, of everybody involved, the customer, the sales organization, and the partners. Uh, it just, just different mindsets and different ways of looking at problems, different way of being solution oriented, who initiates it? Is it the partner? Is it the customer? Traditionally, it's been sort of a 50 50 mix between the two, a bit more direct in the US and a bit more partner oriented in Europe. And regardless, partners will probably still be important as part of the sale overall. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of who takes the paper as opposed to who's leading the, the sale. 
you know, demand is sometimes created by the partners. Uh, they have a solution, they take the solution in, and they can bring it in sometimes as a cookie cutter into different parts of a similar industry. And that's great. That works for us quite well. Sometimes we are the ones doing the demand generation, and then we do the direct sale and we'll bring a partner in uh, for implementation if the customer isn't capable of doing that. It's all part of the ecosystem and all part of the sales processes. You know, we try to treat our partner channel just like our sales channel. They're involved in our sales kickoffs. They get the same information and the same rah-rah events, and they're sort of part of the family as well, you know, just as much as our employees are sometimes. So last year, Alfresco was acquired by a private equity fund. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that's resulted in any pressure to tweak the open source strategy. Not at all. Not at all. It's really sort of a um, substitution of investors more than anything else. We were funded using traditional venture capital model. We had four rounds of funding. There's just a time limit on the uh, venture capitalists' funds in terms of putting the funds to work. We got a new set of investors. And the lead investor from TH Lee happens to have a very strong software background what has been a customer of Alfresco in the past and just understands exactly, you know, the importance of both the open source model as well as, you know, what our objectives are. And also that this is still very much a growth opportunity. We've grown very nicely in the first year that we've been owned by TH Lee. And I would say it's a good combination of helpfulness and sometimes hands-off, sometimes hands-on control of uh, some of the things that are going on but very supportive as well. So it's not like trying to squeeze blood out of a stone, quite the opposite. It's uh, we are growing, uh, we're profitable, very profitable. They're having a nice combination between those two factors that are important for a sustainable business. So in general, just to go off topic of Alfresco for a moment, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing pure play open source startups today? Well, I'm a little bit concerned about the economic environment right now. Uh, if you're starting up right now, I hope you are well-funded. There are venture capitalists here in London who are saying, get a hold of 18 months worth of runway. So I think economic headwinds, if we still have trade friction around the world, are going to take their toll. There's always going to be an opportunity for open source startups uh, that will help cut costs. In fact, they will absolutely thrive in a tough economic environment. However, when a recession first hits, which it's got to at some point, I'm not saying it is right now or that's going to in the next year or even two years, but at some point it will hit. And any young company is likely to hit economic headwinds in you know medium term. So just be prepared for that. But if you are in a position that your value proposition is really clear, you can help cut costs, then that is that always does well in tough economic times, uh, especially if you are a, a cost-effective technology replacement for something that exists that's very expensive. So that's probably the, the biggest one. Also, established players are far more familiar with uh, open source now. They have their arguments lined up, but then also customers are more more savvy in terms of what open source is and more understanding of what it is. In fact, actually really want open source. But there's some interesting uh, 
the sales playbook that they use against open source. They're just not quite as effective as it was before. And then also just really look out for crowded uh, marketplaces. Don't go where there's lots of people already. So one thing about open source right now is it's been such a successful model. You just see a lot of people in the same space. Don't go in the same space. Go where there's an opportunity to differentiate and, and create real value that no one else is creating overall. That would be my, my recommendation right now. So you've started two companies, and I'm wondering, as, do you have any closing advice for entrepreneurs, the people versus the companies about entrepreneurship, specifically with open source or just in general even? Well, yeah. So, you know, what, I, what I've learned is life-work balance is, uh, is important. My first company, I just overdid it on the work side, and I don't necessarily recommend it. In fact, uh, my very first company uh, was Ingress, and I probably, I definitely overdid it there too. So, you know, take time for your family, take time to step back and reflect, and it'll be a much more enjoyable ride. It is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So in order to have the staying power, work-life balance has to come into that overall. In terms of open source, I would say what's really important is to have a passion for the technology that you're working with. You can have a passion for open source, but if you don't have a passion for the technology you're working with, it's going to get old pretty pretty soon. So just do what you feel interested in and what, you know, what gets you really interested in. And, you know, there's going to be lots of times where you just can't wait to get up in the morning to, to work on that thing or solve that problem and, and just get going. When you have that passion, it just gives you the energy to get stuff done. You will need the energy to get that stuff done. Those are probably two most important bits that I would, could probably give right now. That was really fantastic. Thanks so much, Sean, for sharing your, your insights. Okay, thank you very much. It's been fun. Thanks to the Alfresco team for helping to organize the interview. Transcription and episode audio can be found on opensourceunderdogs.com. Music from Broke for Free and Chris Zabriskie. Audio editing by Inez Satenji. Production assistance and transcription by Natalie Lau. Operational support from William Lau. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at FOSS Podcast. That's F-O-S-S Podcast. Next week, we interview Paul Dix, the founder of InfluxDB. Until then, thanks for listening.